Thank you, Pastor Gage. Thank you, praise team and, and church family for your worship this morning and, and um, how, uh, how powerful it is to proclaim the goodness um, and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we've been able to do that together, so uh, thank you for that. As, as Pastor Gage says, we've been in the Gospel of Mark, and we have a lot to get to today, and I want to make sure we, we get to it all. So we're going to dive right in. We, this, we're wrapping up just the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. It's taken us uh, this long just to get through one chapter. But it has been a rich, uh, deep, prophetically as the one to uh, fulfill um, the promises of God that we read in the Old Testament. And now Jesus has been baptized, he's been tempted in the wilderness, and, and overcome that, and, and then began to proclaim the good news. Now is the time, in verse 15, here comes God's kingdom. And he began to build his team, and, he, and, and then last week we saw he was confronting evil, even demonic presences cannot stand in the power of Jesus Christ, and even healing the sick as well. And so now what? Now what do you do after all of that? We get some rest. Are you in need of some rest this morning? And I'm not talking about sleep, although sleep is good and important, and there are really good reasons to get a good night's sleep. But rest, we'll see here in just a minute, Jesus actually gives up some sleep to get some rest. (laughs) And, and what he does. So turn with me, if you will, to the final portion of Mark chapter 1. We'll start with verse 35. And we'll hear the, the, the word of the Lord this morning. Early in the morning, well before sunrise, Jesus rose and went to a deserted place where he could be alone in prayer. Simon and those with him tracked him down. When they found him, they told him, everyone's looking for you. He replied, let's head in the other direction to the nearby villages So that I can preach there too. That's why I've come. He traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. A man with a skin disease approached Jesus, fell to his knees and begged, If you want, you can make me clean. Incensed, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, and said, I do want to be clean. Instantly, the skin disease left him, and he was clean. Sternly, Jesus sent him away, saying, Don't say anything to anyone. Instead, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice for your cleansing that Moses commanded. This will be a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and started talking freely and spreading the news so that Jesus wasn't able to enter a town openly. He remained outside in deserted places, but people came to him from everywhere. The word of the Lord this morning opens with Jesus getting up early, even before sunrise, to go find some quiet, some solitude for prayer. There's a TV show that CJ and I have um, been watching lately, and we're in a portion of our life now where at um, around 7.30, 8 o'clock at the latest, we get, the, we get both girls down, and, and they're sleeping uh, in bed. And then we have the rest of the evening. And I would like to say we take that time for, I don't know, to you know, do some good healthy financial planning or to uh, come up with good educational projects for the kids for the next day or plan out our meals for the week. No, we usually start the dishwasher and collapse on the couch <laughs> about that time. And with the TV show, we, we don't watch a whole lot of TV, but, but we have a TV show that we like to watch. Um, and we've been going through, we, we just finished The King of Queens. I don't if you know that, that show, The King of Queens, from about you know, 20 years ago now. Hilarious. Uh, just one of those sitcoms. 
But then we ran through that, okay, what's next? And so on a recommendation of a friend, we got on Netflix and found this show that's called Alone. Alone. And I think it started with the History Channel, and if you don't, I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's almost, it, it is, it's kind of a reality TV show, but the most dangerous one ever, <laughs> um, where uh, 10 people are chosen, and they train a little bit and they get some education, but they're sent out into the wilderness, and the, the season we watched was Grizzly Mountain, that they were sent into the Rocky Mountains in Canada along this lake, and there are known to be a lot of grizzly bears there, and 10 people are sent out, but they're placed in different spots along the lake, so they have no contact. They are completely alone. There's not even a camera crew. They just give them four cameras, and you're supposed to film yourself. And there's one object to the game, to the show, survive, okay? You survive. You are out there in the wilderness, in, in, in this mountainous, cold, grizzly bear-infested place. You can bring along, you're allowed like nine or ten different items that you can bring, but that's it. And so these people go, and they, they try to make some shelter. They try to find food, whether hunting or fishing or you know, picking up berries or something. They're, they're trying to do all this stuff. And we got fascinated in this, this TV show. It's just the ultimate survival test. And, there, you know, one guy went 30-something days without eating meat. He just lived off of, like, wild onions and tree bark or, you know, whatever he could find. And it is a bit ironic, I know, and we, we tend to do this as a society, is, is, and CJ and I did this, is we sit there and we criticize the decisions and the, the, the efforts of these people who are incredibly strong people, and oh man, he should have you know, put his fishing line in a better spot, or he should have hung that rabbit meat you know, 30 feet up in the air to protect it from the bears, I say, as I lay on my couch with a bowl of ice cream, you know, and a big old Sonic drink. <laughs> But, but what's fascinating of this TV show is the very first episode, all ten of these people are dropped off in different spots, and they, they, they take a boat out there, and they drop them off in their location. And every one of them are just ecstatic and excited and amazed and overwhelmed even by the beauty of this, this beautiful freshwater lake with the Rocky Mountains kind of surrounding you, and you're in the, in the forest, in the woods, and it's just nature, and it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful. But over the, co- the course of the show, that love and that passion they have for the great outdoors, it turns into hunger and cold and frustration and things don't work right and even some depression that's documented in, in this show. It's harder than they thought. It is lonelier than they thought. It's not what they thought they were signing up for. And one by one, as the, the show goes on, you see them reach in their bag and they pull out this one satellite phone that they're given. And, and they can call in and say, I'm out. I'm tapping out. I'm officially out. And they're eliminated from the show. And this, this experience of the wilderness, it turns their hope and excitement and their joy and their love for the great outdoors into this just survival. And even their physical bodies are dirty and they smell and they lose unhealthy amounts of weight and there's frostbite and hypothermia and the wilderness takes their hope and their joy and turns it into despair and suffering until there's just, there's just one left. And the winner, in the end, is just the the one who can survive the longest. It is, again, it is fascinating. 
to see this all play out. And CJ and I were talking, it's like, man, if I could get to three days, oh, <laughs> I'd feel pretty good about myself. And these, these, these people are out there, and there's, there's, it's men and women. They're out there weeks, weeks, maybe even months. Well, Mark chapter 1, two times in chapter 1, Jesus goes into the wilderness. And the first time, we didn't read it this morning, it's actually back earlier in uh, verses 12 and 13, right after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness then, and what did he encounter? He encountered loneliness, he was the only one there, no food, and temptation, and Satan. For 40 days, that's what he found in the wilderness, temptation, Satan, it's it's a dark place, a place of loneliness and despair, and just, man, I'm just trying to survive. And I wonder, metaphorically, have you, have you been there? Have you ever found yourself surrounded by temptation, the enemy in your ear? You know what you should do. It's just so hard. You feel lost. You feel alone. You feel despair. There is no help. It's all up to you. Man, that's a dark place to be. That's the wilderness. It does not sustain you. It takes from you. In fact, it takes what you have and reveals it to be not enough until you're just trying to survive. That is the wilderness. Until the second time Jesus goes into the wilderness, and we just read it this morning in verse 35. Here it's described as a deserted deserted place in the Common English Bible. Some translations say a solitary place. It's actually the same Greek word used to describe wilderness in verses 12 and 13 with temptation and all that. It's the same Greek word here in verse 35, eremos. Eremos, it's this Greek word. It is wilderness. But this time, Jesus doesn't go into the wilderness and find temptation in Satan. What does he find? Instead, the wilderness is what has changed. It's now a place of solitude, rest, and prayer. This is not the last time Jesus will even try to get away for refreshment and for prayer and for solitude as we go through the Gospel of Mark. But right off the bat, right in chapter 1, I want us to see, and I think Mark wants us to see too, the wilderness, whether it is a metaphorical place of temptation and loneliness or if it is literal wilderness with grizzly bears and cold and you know, real-life hunger games, <laughs> the wilderness takes our hopes and dreams and wears us down, and it changes us and just dashes us to bits on the cold, hard realities of this world until Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, it is not Jesus that changes. It is the wilderness that is transformed, that is brought into new creation in the kingdom of God. Even the wilderness, Mark says in chapter 1, is being redeemed in the kingdom of God. I find comfort in that. And that that in our darkest places, in our places of most temptation, in the hardest seasons of life, God can even redeem those spaces. And he does. So Jesus wakes up early, before sunrise, and reclaims the wilderness. What? What an image. Love it. And now two things happen that we see Jesus responding to, and his, his responses are, are what I want us to focus in on here. They're, they're worth considering. First is the reach. That, that Jesus is told that everyone is looking for him in verse 37. Everybody's looking for you. They had to send out a search party <laughs> to find him, but what they did, man, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus has a decision to make here. 
because I think what the disciples are implying is, hey, everybody's looking for you. Let's go back to everybody. We had a great night the other night. We had a great day yesterday. Everybody's paying attention to you. Let's all go right on back to your people, set up shop, maybe at Simon's house or his mother-in-law's house, and let's just keep on, keep on, let's keep doing this, you know? And everybody who likes you is right there. And people will probably come from all over, right? People will travel far and wide just to hear this great teacher and see these great miracles, these great healings. But I would say it probably would only be the people who are willing and or able to travel would come to see Jesus. And not everybody is willing and or able to travel or can afford to travel or can risk travel. Certainly not the poor and the sick. And Jesus, he can go back to where it's popular, back to where it's safe, back to where it's comfortable, where he's already had that win. But Jesus does not choose to wait for people to come to him. Jesus is in the business of reaching out and meeting people right where they are. And if we as God's people are to be given the grace of Jesus, are to receive the good news of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, we cannot stockpile that grace and that forgiveness and good news for ourselves. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to reach out. And I'll tell you, I think this applies to us as a church and us as individuals. Let's talk about us as a church. I've been your pastor here for a little more than, than four years, and we've done some things within the walls of this church that I think have been pretty important, and it's important to do that. That every once in a while, we need to paint or, or you know, work on the carpet, and there are still some other places where, where we need to take care of the in, in, inside. But also, we've done some really big things outside of our walls. We've committed resources and manpower and attention to some things that maybe bless the community more than it blesses us. You know, think about things like our blessing box that feeds the hungry regardless of whether it, they attend church here or not. We've benefited from um, the, the use of our Christian rest and retreat center in Dexter, but, but many others have as well. The love store provides clothing and essentials to anybody who needs it. We've got a ministry to the residents at the Winfield Correctional Facility. And again, we've vested money and vehicles and manpower into these ministries, and it's because we believe the blessings that we receive from God should not remain a blessing only to ourselves. We should share those blessings. We, we, we should bless others. And so this past Wednesday night, uh, our teens headed on over to the love store and volunteered their time and got to see what's going on over there. And thank you, Pastor Gage and your team and Rosalie and, and many others who helped out there and were able to allow our teens to see what it means to work with no repayment expected and just be a blessing to others. I got a beautiful thank you a few weeks ago from a, a pastor of a church who took their whole leadership team out to the, the Christian Rest and Retreat Center out in Dexter. And uh, how awesome it was for them as a church to be able, as, as leadership, to be able to plan and think and pray and just get away. We were reclaiming the wilderness of Dexter uh, for a place of peace and solitude. Thank you, Greg, for what you're doing out there. And I... I met a gentleman this week who pulled up to the blessing box right out here. He pulled out a Brahms paper bag full of groceries and stuffed that box full just because he wanted to help feed the hungry. And it's beautiful to 
get the idea, I want to help feed the hungry. And when you get that idea, even someone who may not be a part of our church gets the idea, I want to help feed the hungry. Oh, I know that church. That's where I can go. That's where I can turn. Man, that's awesome. Two weeks ago, at 6.30 a.m. on a Monday morning, I sat in the darkness along the highway, just out here south of town. I was driving our big 28-passenger bus out here, but had a flat tire. (laughs) And I sat there in the darkness, frustrated. This was not the plan. What a Monday morning. But I wasn't alone. I had 26 inmates from the Winfield Correctional Facility with me. Oh, boy. Sit tight, guys. (laughs) And as we waited for rescue transportation, and again, thank you, Pastor Gage, for coming to the rescue with some of our other vehicles. I was trying to get the logistics sorted out in my head and trying to get all the communication and what do we do and I have a responsibility here. And But here I was before sunrise, cold and frustrated, and one of the inmates, one of the residents, we call them residents of the Winfield Correctional Facility, he leaned forward and he got my attention. And he said, you guys probably don't hear this, but I want to say it. Thank you for what you're doing, he said. He said, because of this partnership we have, he's got a real job. He's gained some job skills. It's given him hope for the future. And it's another example of, we we have our vehicles here. We've invested in them. We want to use them so uh, people who need a ride to church can come to church, and we do that on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. But you know what? Those vehicles just sit. The other times, let's, let's put them to use. So we've done that. And the, the blessing it is for these guys, even when they're stranded on the road with a flat tire for a little while, and we got it all sorted out, it's fine now, we're back on schedule. But there are many more examples, even before I got here, of how this church has taken, taken steps of faith to reach out, to bless others. And Jesus, he didn't just set up somewhere and say, okay, if you want the good news, you got to come, you better, you better make the journey, you better make the effort, you better come. No, in verse 38, let's head in the other direction, to the nearby villages so I can preach there too. I, I, I think, and I don't want to talk poorly about any other church, and I'm not thinking about any other church specifically, but the temptation for a lot of churches is, eh, let's just take care of what's inside the walls. And if you want to hear about God's goodness, you've got to come inside the walls. But we're talking and planning about different ways we can reach out. Now that's, I think, ways in which... The church, God's people, should reach out collectively. I think we should reach out as individuals, as each of us who have been reached out to. I think we need to be obedient to Jesus' example as individuals. And and the way I see it, there are too many Christians who have faith but do not show it. Who have been forgiven but will not forgive. Who know the good news about Jesus but won't talk about it. Every single day we have is a gift. And I didn't want to confront the reality of life and death with our, with our kids this morning, but did you notice as the bubbles, as the life, as the breath came into those bubbles, how long do those bubbles last? Not long, especially once Grayson got a hold of them. <laughs> those bubbles did not last. And boy, as adults, mature, knowing the realities of life and death 
Those bubbles are us. We get that breath for just a bit. And one day that breath returns to God. Every day we have is a gift. And the gifts that we have been given, forgiveness and love and grace and, oh, thank God for grace and mercy, I need second chances. But every, every time we receive that, what are we doing with those gifts? Every single interaction we have with others communicates something about ourselves and what we believe. And if we're forgiven, loved, redeemed followers of Jesus, can't help but think, shouldn't others walk away from those interactions with us thinking, man, did you see that joy in that person's life? It was obvious. Or, or did you sense the grace or the love or the hope in that person's life? The worst thing you can do with the faith that you have, you have is act like it has no impact on your life. But here's how Paul would say it in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. Paul says it this way, Colossians 4, 5 and 6, act wisely toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Your speech should always be gracious and sprinkled, some translations say seasoned, with insight, so that you may know how to respond to every person. I, I love that example. I love that imagery. That Paul says our conversations, especially with outsiders, should be sprinkled or seasoned with graciousness. Have you ever had something that's seasoned just right? I know I'm going to talk about food and then you need to get hungry. Bear with me here. But I love, man, I, I think about Freddy's. We don't have Freddy's in Winfield, but Freddy's up in Wichita and, and other places. Great burgers, right? But they're French fries. You get that seasoning on the French fries. Oh, man. That's so good. Or uh, yeah, I think about, you know, Super Bowl's next week, and, and you, you, you smoke some meat or you make some wings or something. You get that seasoning just right. I, especially I love that dry rub stuff. Man, that seasoning just turns it into just a delight. It's so good. Or baked potato. You need some salt and pepper at least, right? Man, that seasoning makes all the difference. In the same way, Paul says in Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, let our speech be seasoned or sprinkled with grace and insight. It makes a difference. And I, I'm not talking about just flowery language or you have to be the perfect conversationalist. It's not something we manufacture. I'm just talking about a genuineness. Not hiding the joy and peace and grace that comes with being a follower of Jesus Christ. So we reach. Jesus reached. Jesus didn't stay put. He didn't say, okay, I'm just going to wait, and anybody who comes to me, then I'll tell them. Jesus went out. Let's go out. Let's go. Let's go to the next towns, the next villages. So he reached. And speaking of reaching, then we have this next story. A healing takes place. But if we dive in a little deeper, we see there's much more at work than healing in this story. Again, here we go to uh, verse 40. This is an opportunity for us to see how Jesus responds. He was presented with the idea of staying where he was, setting up headquarters, and he responded by reaching out to others. And now he has this guy with a skin disease. Leprosy is what the older versions would call it. And it's kind of a catch-all phrase for all kinds of rashes and weird things that happen to our skin. And how is Jesus going to respond to this statement in verse 40? If you want, you can make me clean. 
if you want, you can make me clean. And verse 41 says, it either says one of two things in your translation. I don't know what translation you're using. In the Common English Bible, and uh, I think the NIV as well, it says incensed or indignant or almost angry. That, G, that, that was his response to it. But then there's a footnote in my Bible that says filled with compassion. Okay, those are not the same things. So am I, or am I, those are two different emotions, right? English messes us up here, okay? But in the, in the Greek, it's incensed, indignant, or angry, or is it moved with compassion or pity? And I'll tell you, scholars have wrestled with this, and I've studied this, and there's not a consensus of which one it should be. But, and, and there's a few different theories, I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think is most likely here, is that Jesus may have been upset, maybe even angry, with the if in this guy's statement. And what does he say in verse 40? If you want, you can make me clean. And I wonder if Jesus' response was, if? Like, you're not questioning my power, you're questioning my desire to help you? If I want? I wonder if there's some indignation, incense from Jesus. Ugh. I don't like how that sits. I don't, I don't like how that settles. The original Greek word here, and it is beyond me to pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. But it describes a, something happening within the bowels is what it is. In the ancient world, you didn't, the heart wasn't the center of you know, love. The heart was more... It's kind of where you were, where you were thinking, and where your essence, your where your spirit was, was right there. But the bowels was your, you know, you've heard of a gut decision, you know, that was that was where you made up your mind. The bowels, and and I won't go as far to say that Jesus had a bowel movement here, but but it's a it's, that's the literal Greek here is the movement of the bowels. It's with it was like something is churning, and it is not. It doesn't sit well with me, I guess, okay? I know. It's not my best joke, but it's a solid number two, right? It's just, uh, <laughs> but if this movement of it doesn't sit well with that, something about that state and doesn't, doesn't get to me. Focus, people, okay. <laughs> but if Jesus is incensed, but also he may be moved to pity in that this guy's plight and his situation. What we have to understand is what being clean or unclean meant in the Old Testament. You read through the Old Testament and you get especially Leviticus or Deuteronomy. It talks about the old law and things that are clean and things that are unclean. And it doesn't necessarily mean sinful or holy. It actually means that there are certain things you do like touching a dead body or like eating the wrong kind of food, or getting a rash or something on your skin will classify you as unclean. You didn't really do anything wrong if, if, I don't know, if you have a loved one who passes away and you're taking care of the body as you should, well, you're, still, you're made unclean. You didn't sin, but you've, you're made unclean. Or if you get a rash, it doesn't mean you've sinned, but you've got to deal with that. You are unclean. Unclean means you cannot go into the presence of God. You, you cannot be a part. You can't celebrate with the festivals. and, and all. You, you can't do that stuff. There is a ritualistic 
process you have to go through to become clean again. And often it is sacrifice of, of, of a ram or a bull or a goat or a sheep or you know, so even, maybe even a pigeon or a grain. But you're doing something. You're making a sacrifice. And then a wait, a, a, a week or so, you know, about seven days, wait, and then the priest can declare you to be clean again and you can re-enter the life of God's people. And so there's also a recognition. And, and here's what, what the man says. If you want, you can make me clean. He doesn't say if you want, you can heal me. Or if you want, you can take this rash away. If you want, you can make me clean. And I wonder if Jesus was responding to the idea that, you know what, moved with compassion. This doesn't sit right with me in some way deep down. This doesn't sit right with me. Because this man who maybe maybe didn't even sin, it's just he got a rash or he has a skin disease and maybe he didn't have control over that. But because of that, he is now unclean. He has to leave. He's not no longer a part of his, um, his family, his community. His, I mean, the, the rules were he had to walk around covered head to toe. He couldn't get within a certain distance of people. And if he did, he had to shout, unclean, unclean. It's a big deal. And so Jesus responding to that, either angry about the situation or angry because they had questioned his desire that Watch what Jesus does. And this is so radical. This is so risky. It's verse 41. Incensed, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him, and said, I do want to be clean. Do you understand the risk, the, what, what, what that did? Jesus reached out and touched a guy with leprosy or with a skin disease. And maybe we do because we just went through two years where we couldn't even get six feet in, you know, within each other, you know? But to be moved from unclean to clean, that we need to submit every single part of our lives to Jesus Christ. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me. Besides still waters, he restores my soul. And he guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. I think on my own strength, my own power, my own desires, my own battle with temptation, I might get off the path. I might be led astray. I might be deceived in some way. But if I'm following the shepherd, and Mark's describing a Jesus who gives us the path, who has the power to redeem and to restore. And we're just getting a little taste of it here. And verse 39 says, He traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and throwing out demons. It's almost a throwaway line. <laughs> That's what Jesus is now in the business of doing. He shows up in the synagogues where, where the community gathers. And anything that's unclean, including these demons, gone. So many times that you can't detail each one. It just happens over and over and over again. So in just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And this is a prayer to remove the uncleanliness in our lives. If it's sin, let's deal with the sin. 
Let's stop it. Let's ask the Lord to help us in his power and his strength to stop the sin. But also to step further. What might be unclean? What might be preventing us from truly holy living? Let's ask the Lord to deal with that for us. Bow your heads with me. Lord, uh, we, we come to you in various states of uh, humility, worthiness perhaps. But ultimately, we know we need to be led by the Good Shepherd. And perhaps there are parts of our lives we're still dealing with sin. It's still clinging on to us. It's still holding on, Lord. And we need you to rip that off. Even if it hurts, Lord, remove the sin from our lives. And perhaps, Lord, we're dealing with a little bit of uncleanliness, too. That state, and it may even just start as a small rash, but boy, that spreads in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you, with your healing touch, would bring about a cleanliness that restores. That your redemption could fix the, the brokenness of relationships that we may have. The shattered dreams and hopes that we've all but given up on in our lives. The ways in which the enemy tries to lie to us and degrade us or devalue us or tell us our self-worth is off, Lord. May we find our identity, our cleanliness, and our holiness in the promises you have for us to make us holy. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us, push us, motivate us, empower us, and equip us to live those holy lives pleasing to you. We cannot do this in our own strength. But for those today willing, Lord, would you hear our cry? Make us holy. Fill us with your spirit. Would you redeem even the wilderness areas of our life, even the seasons we go through, Lord, where we are alone, we are in despair, and we are experiencing the cold and bitterness of the real world, Lord. Would you redeem even those seasons, even those spaces? And may we instead find your solitude, your presence, and your redemption. We love you. We thank you. Be patient with us, Lord. Watch over us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.